Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 22nd of November 2015, entitled Belief and Baptism Without Birth. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 25. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. All right, our reading from Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, beginning in Acts chapter 8 and verse 9. And there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the last or from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. And when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost." When Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps he thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee, the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Father, we do thank you earnestly again this evening. And Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I pray, Lord, that you would not only help us to grasp and understand the account that is being given to us here, Lord, that you could take and use it to speak to our hearts as to how it can be applied to our lives at this time. Help us, Lord, to see that which we need to see this evening. You know the hearts of every individual here. You know exactly what each one's greatest need is. We pray that those needs will be met this evening for your glory, for your honor alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I ask you a question this morning, which I hope you didn't think that I had totally, completely backslid, gone into false doctrine, I ask you if you believe that a baptized believer could go to hell and that we would be looking at that this evening. 
Well, I haven't, uh, I've never lost my salvation. Don't believe that anyone can. I haven't changed my, my belief in the fact that if you're ever truly, genuinely born again, then you are born again for eternity. But it is possible to believe and to be baptized and to go to hell. Uh, it is very possible, as a matter of fact, and we're going to read of one of those accounts in Scripture this evening and hopefully grasp the importance of the lessons that we can learn from it. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now that's an awesome passage. We did a whole series on this passage, and I still... You know, I've preached a lot of sermons in the last however many years it's been now, 40 years or whatever, but, you know, I can still remember this message so vividly when God gave it to me, and that is what true saving faith is. And, uh, and of course, that is something that I believe that as we look around today, that there is an awful lot of faith and easy believism that is not true saving faith. Jesus went on just a few verses later and said here in verse 21 to 23 of Matthew chapter 7, he said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. A fearful reality that is found in the Word of God and found in Scripture is that there are many people that think that they are saved, but in actual fact are eternally lost. I am absolutely convinced that one of the greatest problems that our church has today, and I'm talking about the churches around the world, is the fact that so many are filled with so many lost people. They're not made up of genuine born-again believers. Now, the Bible teaches us this truth in several different ways. We know without any shadow of a doubt that the fault of this does not lie upon God, nor does it lie upon the gospel that would genuinely save. The Bible teaches us also in, in, in other places in the parables that the seed is always good, but it falls on different types of soil. It falls on some good soil and some bad. Some branches will abide in the vine while others are cut off and burned. Some will have a genuine working faith, but some will have what we simply call a demonic faith. <laughs> you see, the Bible teaches us that even the devils believed and trembled. They know exactly who Jesus Christ is. And so many times today, yes, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that is a vital 
essential, necessary part of salvation. But that's not all that there is to salvation. It is an ingredient that cannot be left out. The Bible teaches, and many of us have seen it with our own eyes, that some claim to have a saving faith, and they maybe start off so real, and they start off so genuine, and then they simply turn away from the faith that they once supposedly held dear. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 and 39 says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Here, I believe the Apostle Paul writing, whoever is writing the book of Hebrews, it was God through inspiration of the Holy Spirit that was having it pinned down. He says, we're not like those. We haven't believed like they have. We're not of them that started out and didn't finish. Those that were going and then they drew back. He says, we're of them that believe to the saving of the soul. There's two different types of belief. Some of them believed and drew back. But some of them believed to the saving of the soul. They both believed. But there was something different about that belief in our passage that we're reading here in Acts chapter 8, we're in the city of Samaria. And we've seen how that Philip ended up here as a result of the great persecutions. If you read back at earlier in this, in this passage, those persecutions that have been brought against the church through none other than Saul and his helpers. But he came to this place not defeated and complaining, but he came here proclaiming the truth of the gospel. He came preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we see taking place here in chapter 8 when these people's lives begin to be changed. We find that the Bible says specifically here that there was this one called Simon. Simon was a sorcerer. And as we look at this passage today, we'll see that the Bible teaches us very clearly that Simon believed. You see, the Bible tells us who this Simon was and how he thought he was such a great person and how that others did and how that he was into all the sorcery and witchcraft and everything and he was blowing people's minds by all the tricks that he was playing before them. But when Philip came and began to preach the gospel these people began to believe and they began to be baptized and their lives were being changed. And verse 13 says, Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. He believed. He was baptized. He continued with Philip. I mean, it all seemed genuine enough until... Something happened that showed his true colors from the inside out. It showed what was taking place in his heart when he began to want to buy the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit that was being given to these believers by Peter and John. Now, I want to ask you a question. 
where did Simon go wrong? How could he be so close? How could he be amongst so many that were believing and being baptized and hearing the same message? How could he do that and yet be so far away? We hear a lot of talk today about the importance of sincerity, about being genuine in the heart as many search for God. And the truth is, is that you must be sincere and you must be genuine. But just as you are sincere and just as you are genuine, you must be seeking for the truth. You can be just as sincerely and genuinely wrong as you can be right. I've used the illustration before that you can be ill. You can go to take the medication that the doctor has prescribed for you that is supposed to make you better. If you take this and you take it so many times a day, you're going to be well again. But you go to the medicine cabinet and you take out that medicine, but you genuinely, sincerely take out that bottle and take those tablets and throw them in your mouth, but you've got the wrong medicine. You didn't read the bottle close enough. You were genuinely, sincerely doing the right thing. You were doing what you were told to do. You're doing it in the right measures. You were following the right instructions. But you were sincerely wrong. Many today, they genuinely and sincerely say, yes, I want to follow God and I want to do all these things and I want to be saved. But the reality is that they're not following the truth. They're genuinely and sincerely going in the wrong direction. Being genuine suddenly becomes more important than the truth to some people. But as long as they're genuine, as long as they're sincere, God will have compassion on them. He's a loving God. God does have compassion. You can't change that. God is love. You can't change that. But I've got news for you. God cannot change the truth because God is truth. You can't be saved on a lie. You can't be saved on anything else in this world except what Jesus Christ did for you. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. We live in a day when we are considered to be bad people, narrow-minded people, bigots, all these nice terms that they come up with us because we say that there is only one way and that one way is Jesus Christ. But all these the Muslims and the Buddhists and the Confucianists and the Sikhs and all these, they're all, they're all seeking the same God that you are. They're all sincere and they're all genuine. And yes, they are. You know, one of the things that breaks my heart is when I see people, because I meet a lot of people that want nothing to do with God. They don't even want to acknowledge that God exists. And if they do acknowledge it, because there's so many problems with him, they don't want anything to do with him. But yet, I've met some very, very sincere Muslims, some very sincere Sikhs. Some of them have been nicer to me at times than so-called Christians have. <laughs> some of them have even done favors for this church more than some of those so-called Christians have. I've had very genuine, sincere people knock on my door. Some of them called Jehovah's Witnesses. 
Some of them called Mormons. Very sincere and genuine people. You know, my heart breaks for somebody that is sincere and genuine, but they've not been given the truth. They sincerely want a relationship with God, but they've been led astray by false teachings, by lies, by things that simply aren't the truth. Folks, just being sincere and just being genuine isn't enough. Only true faith, only saving faith will change a person's life. We can only get that from God. He is truth. His word is truth. You can have all the faith in the world and be baptized or you know every one of the fish out there by name. Still die and go to hell. Remember, those demons believed. Those demons believed so much that they trembled. That's, that's, that's a stronger belief than a lot of people have today because they understood the power that Jesus had. Faith in the wrong truth is deadly. And knowing the truth, believing it, but not applying it is just as bad. People hear it, people know it, but they don't act upon it. I want you to take a look at just a few things that I believe that was Simon's problem. How could Simon, amongst all these people, how could he get it so wrong? I believe that he had a wrong view about several things, but the first one was about himself, about self. You see, we read here, first of all, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. He saw himself as great. He had an egotistical view of himself. He was a great person because he could do all of this sorcery and all of this magic and all of this witchcraft that would bedazzle people. You know, the word that's referred to here is the word, the same word that's used for the lore of the Magi, the priest of the Medo. Persians. That's the kind of wisdom that Simon had. He was a witch. <laughs> he was a wizard. He played in sorcery and magic and all of these things. It was a mix of science and superstition that he dealt with here. It combined, if my studies are correct, astrology and divination and occultic practices, these things of the dark world with history and mathematics and agriculture Sometimes it was just simple trickery, and sometimes it was actually demonic. But that's who this guy was. That was what he was dealing with, and he, he had a real favorable idea of himself of how great that he was. He didn't just think he was great. He wanted everybody else to know he was great. He says, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. This guy thought he was great, but he also led others to believe that he was great. <laughs> he wanted to be great in other people's eyes, literally a God-like figure in these others' eyes. He had them believing that he was the great Power of God. Now, they hadn't heard the truth yet at that time. 
This is just a spell that he had over these people. <laughs> Dunamis, that's the word that's used there. Do you know what that, <laughs> what that word is later used for? It's later to be used for the power of Jesus Christ and the power of, of the Holy Spirit itself. Matter of fact, many of the early church fathers uh, accredited Simon as one of the founders of what we know today as Gnosticism. He actually viewed himself as a God incarnate, as a God in this world. You see, the Bible teaches that he thought he was something great. And he had everybody else thinking that he was the great power of God. I mean, this guy was doing this through his witchcraft and his sorcery and all of these spells and whatnot. Why did so many people believe that this guy was such a great person? Well, the reality of Satan using so many of these same tricks in our day should be obvious all around us. They had regard because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. He tricked them. He had them believing that he was something that he was not. He believed he was great, and he tricked everybody else into believing that he was great. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there this evening, but folks, this world is full of charlatans, full of people that want to get up, and they'll have their fancy words and their fancy suits and their fancy everything else. And what they're wanting to do is people to just give to their cause and give to their cause and give to their cause. They want to say things that are going to tickle people's ears. They're going to make them feel good. It's just like we were looking at this morning. As long as he was going through just telling them Bible stories, as long as Stephen was talking about what Abraham did and what Joseph did and what Moses did, but boy, when he got down to what they were doing, boy, the anger came out then. Well, there's a lot of charlatans in this world. They want to play on people's imagination. They want to play on people's belief. They're not a bit more interested in true, genuine, saving faith and having a relationship with Jesus Christ than the man on the moon is. The world is full of them. Well, you know, I don't, I don't mean this to sound nasty this evening. But I mean it from the depths of my heart. I don't really care if you like what I'm saying. I don't really care if you like what I'm preaching because it's the word of God and it's what God gave me to say and I'm only concerned about whether he's happy with it or not. They got angry. They stoned this guy to death this morning because of what he was preaching to them. When you start taking a stand on the truth, then you're going to have enemies. But Simon, this sorcerer, he thought he was something great. And he had everybody else believing that he was something great. And he was moving amongst them and they, whoa, you know, look at this guy. <laughs> look at what he can do. You know what his real problem was? It's a five-letter word that the Bible has a lot to say about. P-R-I-D-E. Pride. God's got no place for it. People think they're so good that they're okay. That boy, they used to do this and now they don't do that. And now they do this and they don't do that. And, you know, they're a pretty good person. They try to help people and they try to do all these things. And they're always trying to think of something else to build themselves up, to think that they are something good enough in God's eyes. Peter had, or 
Simon had a lot of pride. Simon thought that he was something grand and great. Well, just a couple of verses for you to remind you. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13. The Bible says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. Does God hate? God doesn't hate anyone, but there are sure some things the Bible teaches us God hates. God hates sin. These are some of the things that he's listing right here, and pride is one of those things that God literally hates. Turn just a few pages over in Proverbs chapter 16, and in verse 5, it says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. We find that it's not just the Old Testament. There are many, many, many places in the New Testament as well. We find that James puts it this way. The book of James chapter 4. He tells us there in verse, begin verse 6. It says, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. We need to understand the seriousness of Simon's mistake. You see, Simon was right there amongst all the people that really got saved the people that were genuinely on their way to heaven. But Simon missed the boat. And one of the problems that Simon has, according to the scriptures here, we look, we can see clearly that this man was full of pride. He thought he was a great person. And he wanted everybody else to think that he was a great person. It's important that we realize it's only when we humble ourselves to admit our sins, our shortcomings, We must see our sin as God sees them. It's the poor in spirit, not the proud in heart. We were able to experience saving faith. We find that each and every one of us must come to see our sin as God sees it. You see, one of the biggest problems that you have in getting people saved today is getting people to understand how lost they are. Their lost condition. Understand the awfulness of sin. One of my discussions that I've had this week with, I won't call the name, one of our young people, because again, most, most, most years, a lot of these conversations come up on the university campuses and whatnot. I've even been asked to go and speak to him at a couple of the CU meetings about it, but trying to guess how can a loving God have a place like hell? And of course, a lot talking about how that in some of the Bible studies that this teaching is starting trying to, to come out about the fact that you know, hell isn't really an eternal place, that it's just a place of destruction, that a person is annihilated, and then that is it. Well, people try to come up with that because they're trying to figure out with their simple minds about these truths. But that's not what the Bible teaches, friends. 
We've got to stick to the facts of what God teaches us. Simon never really saw his need. He never saw himself for the sinner that he was. We must begin to understand why does God hate sin so much? Because sin destroys everything that God created. It was sin that came in and brought death with it. God created life. Sin destroys that life. The wages of sin is always death. The gift of God is eternal life. God wants life. That's what he's created, and that's what he's offered to you. We find that the only way that there can ever be life, the only way that there can ever be an eternity without all of the problems that you have now and all the problems that are around you and all the problems in this sin-cursed world is for sin to be done away with. It can't exist. Not even the tiniest, smallest freckle of a sin can exist in eternity with God, be what he wants it to be. Because as soon as sin enters in, so does death. Simon never saw his need all too many today simply don't see their need. They're secure in what they think of themselves and what they think that others think of them. They're a good person. They're more concerned about building that reputation with other people than they are about what's really going on in their lives and their hearts before God. The sad thing is... A lot of churches are filled with sincere, genuine people sitting in those seats that are so sincerely on their way to hell. God doesn't want it. God never wanted it. It's not his will for any to perish. We find that if you're too busy trying to convince yourself how good you are, <laughs> trying to prove what a good Christian you are or trying to prove to others how good you are, to realize and admit just how bad you are, just how much of a sinner that you are. Whether you claim to be lost or saved, that part doesn't really matter at that point. You see, you need to know that you haven't believed in vain, that what you believed and put your faith in, not religion, it's not a church, not some prayer that you prayed. It's not the change that you made, the goodness that you've done, the badness that you've not done. It's not the people that you believe in, the things that you've accomplished with your life. It's not your goodness or anybody else's goodness. It's nothing other than the fact that you are a lost sinner with no hope whatsoever except in Jesus Christ and what he did for you. You see, you are just as vile a sinner as I am. And you are just as vile a sinner as everybody else sitting in here. Because compared to a holy God, we're as vile as you can even begin to get. But people don't see themselves in the same light. God sees the sin, but he doesn't want to see the sin. Man doesn't see the sin, and God wants him to. God wants to get rid of it, but man won't even admit that it's there. It's only when you humble yourself and admit to God as a lost, dirty sinner that you need to be cleansed, that the sin needs to be taken away, 
and that the blood of Jesus is the only thing that will cleanse that sin away from you. Nothing else will do. Don't go through this world. Don't go into the day. Don't go trying to somehow convince yourself. That was Simon's problem. Everybody around him was going to heaven. He was going to hell because he had a wrong view of himself. He never saw himself as the sinner that he was. He saw himself in his greatness, his magic, and all that he could do in this world. In Ephesians chapter 2, Word of God, wonderful passage. We certainly read this passage a number of times before, but I want to read it to you again this evening. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We read part of this, I think it was Wednesday night. And I said it was one of the passages of when we had the Christian school here at the church that every student had to memorize because it's so important. Notice what the Word of God says. If there, therefore, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if, up, oh, I'm in the wrong place. I'm in Philippians. That's a good one too, praise God. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2 is the one that I want us to read now. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. For in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the princes of the power of the air, the devil and his power, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, Simon had a wrong view of himself, and that's where True salvation must always begin. Now, he had some other wrong views, and we'll come back and look at those and whenever the Lord allows us to in, in, in the next couple of weeks or so. But I want you to begin this evening by looking at this man. That, man, he was so grand in the sight of the people around him, they thought he had God power. I mean, this guy was lifted up. He thought he was great. He had everybody else thinking that he was great. He was believed. He was baptized. He was following Philip, the preacher. He was doing all these things. Yet, we'll see, he didn't have true saving faith. And the first key to why he didn't, when those around him were seeing in those first verses there, the view he had of himself. He thought he was a great person. 
this evening, do you want to know that you're saved and on your way to heaven? It's going to begin. It has to begin. It cannot begin anywhere else except you recognizing and seeing yourself not as a good person, not as a child in a Christian home, not as somebody that goes to church, not as somebody that tries to do good, not as somebody that's so sincere and genuine and all this. No, it begins by you recognizing and seeing for yourself and admitting your sin. You're a sinner just like every other human being. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. <laughs> that's the only place. When you compare yourself with God, you see, too many want to compare themselves with themselves and amongst themselves. No, that's not what matters. God's the only sinless one. And once sin enters in anywhere, then it's death, not life. You want life with God, everlasting? Then it's got to begin with recognizing that you missed the mark. You don't. When you compare it to his glory, you miss the mark. You're a sinner. God hates sin. Because sin destroys everything that he stands for. He's life and he's love. And sin destroys all of that. And sin will destroy you. Don't make the same mistake that Simon the sorcerer made. He had the power of this world in his hands. He had the people eating out of his hands. He got involved in the church with all the right people, following the right crowd, doing the right things. But he was still going to hell. He was never genuinely saved. Few there be that find it. Do you know that passage in Matthew chapter 7 that we read? The broad way, the narrow way, the many that are going down that broad way, they're not looking for hell at the end of that road. These are all, all these people on the broad and the narrow way, they're looking for something good at the end. They're looking for heaven at the end. They're looking for eternal life at the end. Problem is, there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is destruction, death. Folks, don't be caught up. Too many people are on that broad road that leads to destruction. It's the straight way, that narrow way, the one that's hard to find, that few find. This evening, it begins, it begins right where you are, admitting who you are, that you are a sinner, and that there's only one thing that can cleanse away sin, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. You can be as sincere and as genuine in everything else that you want, but until you fall on your face before God and you cry out for forgiveness, you ask Him to take away that sin because He's the only one that can through what Jesus did for you. Humble yourself as a sinner and seek the forgiveness that only God can give and that he can only give through Jesus Christ. Don't have a wrong view of yourself, that you're a good person, that you're a religious person, even that you're a saved person when you're really not. There is no need to play games with this. You know, the hardest thing many times, the hardest thing to get around is the same thing that Simon struggled with, pride. But what's everybody else going to think? You see, I want to promise you something here this evening. I'm not trying to make any true, genuine, born-again, child of God, Christian. I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation one bit. Because if you're really saved, you can know it and you can pin it down, praise God. 
But I do want this too. I don't want you to leave here tonight putting your faith and your trust, no matter how sincere and genuine that you are, putting it in something that's not genuinely the truth. Don't fall into the same trap as Simon. Begin by admitting who you are. Look at yourself. And tonight, don't worry. You see people say, what's somebody else? It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You know that you're right with God. Don't go to hell just so somebody else will think, well, man, I thought that person was a Christian all along. You know. You get your relationship with you and God right. And if that person's really born again, they're going to be rejoicing to heaven and back with you. If they got a problem with it, they probably need to get on their knees before God. It's only the devil that's not wanting you to admit it. Don't do it. He'll want you to walk right through those doors again tonight and go out of this place and not do anything about it. But there is room at the cross for you. Why don't we sing that as our closing hymn tonight? I think that's number 12 in your, uh, number 12 in your hymnals there. There's room at the cross for you. You see, I don't want you to believe and be baptized but not be born again. I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt that you've been to the cross where Jesus died. That's the only place you can go. There's no man-made place. I don't want to introduce you to religion this evening. I want you to go to where Jesus is. Jesus will help you. You're going to swallow your pride? You're going to do anything about it? Or are you going to rejoice this evening? You see, this sermon should make you rejoice if you're a child of God. Wow, I'm not on that broad path. <laughs> I know. I know. You see, there's an awful lot of things. I played with my emotions a long time about whether I was saved or not. But it was when I come to a point that I had to settle on the Word of God, well, this is what God says. I knew genuinely in my heart that I didn't have a chance and I knew genuinely in my heart that if I ever had a chance, it was in Jesus Christ and him alone. And if it took anything more than that, then I will split hell wide open. Well, I got nothing else. But I believe I've got everything that I need to spend eternity with him in heaven because I got Jesus. That's what I want you to know this evening and rejoice in this evening. And I want you to follow us as we look through this account of Simon. And I want you to recognize not only can you know, but those around you can know as well. There may be people that you know, friends that you have. Maybe they started out good and they're struggling. Maybe. Maybe it'll help you to be able to be a blessing to them and help them. Let's stand. Let's sing these words together, beautiful words to this song. There's room at the cross for you. If you need to come and pray, if you want to come and talk, forget everybody else. Nobody else matters. You and the Lord. You come this evening as we sing this song.